Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. And this next story might kind of bolster their view, might uh, seem to lend some credence there. Dramatic shift, one in six young Americans now identify as LGBT. So this is polling that's been done to examine the um, sexual identity or preferences of various people, and it's happened over the years, and these things have been tracked. Hey, my name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we're with Running Light Ministries, and we are going to do podcast episode 5,400. No. One day. It feels feels like that. But we actually are on 115 right now. Nice. 115 podcasts is from Running Light. We call it the Better Pleasure Podcast. But we did change it. uh, So if you're searching for it on iTunes or on uh, whatever other client you have, look up Running Light Podcast. The reason why is because someone, uh, a wife, texted me the other day, and she's like, hey, I was checking, I was looking up Better Pleasure podcast, <laughs> <laughs> and I got a lot of interesting stuff. <laughs> I actually got, I think the same person texted me. I was like, oh, <laughs> I've never actually looked it up, so I don't know. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh man. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, I'll change it. You know, so I, I had. I thought be- that maybe you were intentionally like, hey, maybe someone's going to be looking for this, <laughs> and they find us. <laughs> well, they probably have. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, who knows? But (laughs) anyway, it is uh, a month of LGBTQ pride plus plus some more pride right down the road. What I was thinking is pretty soon that, um, you know, uh, heterosexual is going to be a part of the LGBTQ plus section anyway. (laughs) There'll be an H in there. LGBTQ H. (laughs) (laughs) So we're all going to get there one day. It's just everybody. Yeah. It's like the coexist stickers, you know, on a car. <laughs> it's like we're all going to get along at some point, you know. That's right. But anyway, it is LGBTQ month, I guess, in the uh, country. I don't watch really much TV, if any, at all. So I don't know much about what's going on out there. Um, but I certainly have heard through the grapevine and basically through sports. I think it's through sports that I get kind of some of the things that are going on. Um, and because I um, love hockey and enjoy that, you know, I get these hockey updates and I think one of them had to do with that, like, you know, support LGBTQ plus month, you know, sports, whatever. <laughs> I was like, okay. But it's a good topic for us to kind of kick over. We never really have gone into much of LGBTQ culture. And uh, we have had some great interviews. Right? I think of the one with Nathan in the past that was epic. Still up, yeah. Still Anyone up. It might be really it early on. It's really good, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I think we did it like four or five years ago. It was a while ago. Yeah, and I, I, I would. Nathan uh, is uh, a married homosexual, and uh, it it was great the conversation. I wish we had better technology <laughs> on his side <laughs> at the time, but yeah. uh, it, but it, it's there. You can make it out, you know. Um, but uh, you know, one of the things that always hits me uh, that I, I wanted to talk about last week, but I knew it was going to take a little while, was that idea of equality. Hmm. And what exactly that means, because sometimes you, you know, we've heard LGBT, LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus for a a while now, for quite a while. And you sometimes get a little thrown off as far as what is 
you know, the purpose. Like, what is it all about? Um, and obviously, it's always going to come back to, it seems like anyway, the idea of equality. Um, I would imagine that gay marriage had a part to play in this idea of gaining equality. Hmm. Um, but I, I always come back to this idea of what does equality mean? Yeah. Like, what, what, what is that? Yeah. What does it look like? And in my studies of First Corinthians this last couple months, I've kind of run into that that equality topic as, you know, when the Bible talks about spiritual gifts within the church, it, it talks about all of us being uh, like a body and having many, and there's many parts to the body and each body part is important, but they're not the same. Yeah. And so there's like these distinctions. You can't say that the nose is a hand and the hand is a, is a foot. They're different. Which means they're not equal. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> but yet they're, they have an equality of importance, right. the Bible seems to be stressing. Right. And Paul goes in detail about the importance of the nose. And he even goes into a really beautiful, subtle talk about the beauty of your private part. Yeah. <laughs> I always I always get a tri- kick out of reading that. I think most people are like, "Oh, he's talking about like the organs, like the heart." But he gets he gets to a place where you're like, "No." <laughs> like, <laughs> he's all, even the most <laughs> the non-seen. Yeah, the unseen parts. People are like, "Maybe it's like the stuff under the skin." No. <laughs> I don't think that's what he's he talking about. Cuz he talks about like giving them preference by covering them up. <laughs> so you're like He's definitely talking about something that could be visible, but maybe shouldn't be visible. You know? Yeah, I know. I, I love his approach, man. He's super subtle, man. Yeah. He's just—he's sly. You know, those Corinthians knew exactly what he was talking about. I know, and I love—I love that analogy, and I, I give it to people. And I think that in our modern culture, I know this is a little bit of a detour. I just think it's so funny that, like, in our modern culture, we think that his analogy is so crude that we don't make the point. But think about his point for a second. If you were thinking about who's most important in a church, you would think about the scene members, the head pastor, the worship team, people like that. But Paul asked the question, he's like, what part of your body do you value more? The parts that people can see or the parts that people can't see? So a way you could put it is, what would you rather lose? A part of your body that you could see or maybe a part of your body that nobody sees? And the obvious answer is, I might want to lose a part of my body that I could see. And that that's kind of his point that sometimes the unseen members of the church are the ones that are most important and the ones that are actually doing the most, which I think is funny. Yeah, absolutely. And you get, you guys can always read that in first Corinthians chapter 12 verses around 22 and on. Yeah. You know, but really, really cool. But to go back to your original point, uh, it's kind of like if I were to ask the question of are two apples equal to two oranges? you would be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You can't compare the two because they're incomparable. They're different. They're distinct. You can say that two apples can be as good as two oranges, or you could say, but it depends on your mood. It depends on your taste. It depends on what store you're shopping By at. By the way, you can't use any logic or reasons <laughs> capabilities in this talk because that's part of the hegemony. That's right. I just learned that. 
That's part of whiteness. That is whiteness. <laughs> that is even, whiteness. Even though you team. don't look white. Because you look Asian. <laughs> but Asians are pretty white. You know, like on the whiteness scale, <laughs> they're on, they're, Asians they're on there? are pretty white. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't so. know. Recently, because that guy shot up the massage parlor, I think Asians were like degraded. Because I realized last month it was Asian Pacific Islander month. And I was talking <laughs> to my wife. I was like, I don't remember ever getting a month. <laughs> I was like, I never remember anyone ever mentioning Asian or Pacific Islander month before. But I guess I got a month now. She's like, how does it make you feel? I'm like, I kind of was happy not having a month. <laughs> I didn't really want a month. But, yeah, I mean, we're pretty high up on the whiteness scale usually. And I'm sorry to hear that, by the way. But at least you admit it. Yeah, I know. And that's the plus. I'm owning my whiteness. You are owning it. Um, that's right. One of these days, we'll have to go fully off topic into <laughs> critical race theory and social justice theory. Yeah? Yeah, that would be fun. But, um Maybe how it relates to sex. Yeah. That would yeah. be interesting. That would be really cool. Yeah. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that when we're talking about this idea of equality, it, uh, it was uh, G.K. Chesterton who said something really interesting. He said, there is a type of thought that stops thought, and that is the only thought that ought to be stopped. And what he means by that is he's saying that reason and dialogue are always good things. But there's a type of reasoning, there's a type of dialogue that you can propose that would stop all thought in a subsequent fashion. And the kind of thought that is prevalent in our society today is that thought. It's the thought of, well, facts don't really matter. Feelings are what matters most. So if I feel like a woman trapped in a man's body, biology, psychology, spirituality, nothing matters. It only matters what I feel about myself. That is a thought that stops thought. That is a thought that makes it impossible for anyone to interact with that thought, for anyone to challenge it, for anyone to talk about it in a meaningful way. It brings the conversation to a close. Do you know where G.K. <clears throat> Chesterton said that? I actually <clears throat> don't. I don't know the name well, of the Well, why book. not? I don't <laughs> Because I'd suck. No. <laughs> I could look it up real quick, though, while we're talking. Oh, I got to sneeze. Maybe. I don't know. Allergies are I don't crazy, know. dude. Yeah, I know. Um, I was thinking it's in the book that I have. What is it? The Something of Man. Um, oh, man. Um, blah, 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 blah. Something of Man. Uh, original Man. Something like that. But that would be cool to have that quote. Um, maybe where that's from. But, yeah. I mean... Uh, but the, the aim of it is, again, it's so prevalent. And I can think of like two ways that this matters in our society. The first one would be uh, what I just said. But the second one, which is even more important, I believe, uh, has to do with what we would call ad hominem attacks. So ad hominem, for those of you guys who don't know, it's a way of attacking uh, argument by attacking the character of the person saying it. So it'd be like, for instance, if me and Bo had a disagreement about something in sexual realm or something like that. And I, instead of interacting with his argument, I'm like, well, you just say that because you're a bigot. I've attacked his character, but I haven't touched his argument. I haven't actually made a, a rational thought of why I'm right. I've just made an attack against him and why he's wrong. That's the kind of attack that you're seeing happen more and more in our day in our day-to-day -day, where people are not really interacting with thoughts they're interacting with people's character and that's the most important thing and that's obviously not good way to go about things that is a thought that stops thought and by the way it's in his book called 
orthodoxy. Orthodoxy. Okay. Yeah. G.K. Chesterton, orthodoxy, that wonderful quote yeah. from, uh, and say that quote once again, because it was good. Yeah. There is a thought that stops thought, and that is the only type of thought that ought to be stopped. That's right. So, and you're talking about if you are, if there's something that can't be challenged. Right. If, if there's a type of thought that immediately shuts down the conversation. Yeah, it just can't be, hey, this is the way I think. This is the way I am. If you don't like it, then sorry, but this is it. This is it. This is the <laughs> way I think. Period. You know, it's kind of weird because we used to think narcissism just like two years ago was kind of a bad thing. And you would have to like go get a narcissistic like checkup at the psychologist or psychiatrist. Yeah. You know? Um, but nowadays narcissism is like the best. It's greatest. It's like it's actually a form of reason. That's right. Um, you know, where you can always come back to narcissism as the answer. That's positive. Uh, That's yeah. why it's called Pride Month. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. You know, so you go back into history and you ask the question of what's the number one problem with man almost every culture and civilization would say pride they would say you think too much of yourself and the greeks had a word for it it was hubris right and that's like the number one thing that's wrong with man it sounds hubris. like sounds like something on wait time out time out i'm having a flashback uh, <laughs> um it's got to be uh something with dr zeus dr seuss yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I've, I've seen that on yeah the hubris I don't know. Yes. Maybe. It's in a movie. That'd Dr. Seuss. That's cool. Yeah, hubris. Mm -hmm. so, uh, it's, it's a funny sounding word, but that's all it means. It means arrogance. Yeah. Or self-assuredness. In our society today, and this really matters for what we're talking about with the LGBTQ plus movement, is they've based their entire argument on this idea that the number one thing that's wrong with us is low self-esteem. So in other words, they look at the sexual problems of mankind and they say, because these ideas, lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender, because they're under attack, it's led to a low self-esteem in this people group, in these peoples, and that low self-esteem is destructive to them and others. Now, there's, there's a truth there, and we as Christians recognize it because we understand that low self-esteem is just the other side of the coin that we call pride. So a high self-esteem is self-conceit, thinking too much of yourself, and that is a sin in the Bible. You call it arrogance, or you could talk, call it self-conceit, or you call it hubris. And the flip side of that is self-pity. It's the idea of thinking too much of yourself in a negative sense. This is also condemned in the scriptures. But both are bad, and the Bible recognizes the evils of both. But the problem is that if you only recognize one, you think the solution is to embrace the other. So many people in the more traditional side of things, they thought the way to make people more humble is to condemn. So you have the ultra church, you know, like sinners in the hands of an angry God kind of sermons where the whole intent of the sermon is just to make you feel like poop. You know, right, <laughs> it's just like right. if you feel like poop at the end of the sermon, you're on your way to holiness. That's a sermon by Jonathan Edwards. That's right, Jonathan Edwards. So the worse you feel leaving church, the more righteous you are. That is is negative because again, you're embracing the other vice in an attempt to flee from the first one. Mm. Then what our society and what the LGBTQ plus movement has done is said, no, 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 no. It's not about feeling bad about yourself. Bad, feeling bad about yourself is the worst thing you can do. You have to feel good about yourself. So they flee from low self-esteem into the loving arms of hubris and arrogance. And that's why it's shut down thought because the idea there is it's different to say, 
hey, this person's opinion of me brings down my self-esteem. The conclusion they've come to then is because of that, you must agree with me, support me, and even encourage me in all of my behavior or else you're responsible for my low self-esteem. And as long as I feel confident in who I am and what I think about myself, who are you to tell me otherwise? So this is a good place to kind of think through is like um, LGBTQ is predicated on being victims. Hmm. So it starts off as, you know, it's almost like when you're in a heavy metal subculture growing up, you know, you feel like you're a victim. You don't live in a great neighborhood. You feel kind of poor. Your parents suck. Nobody understands me. You know me. what I mean? Your dad's an alcoholic. You Society know. is terrible. Society <laughs> sucks. <dude>. Anarchy. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. And you look at you look at the hegemony of yeah. the day, right? <laughs> they don't have long hair, yeah. right? The hegemony has short hair. Yeah. You know, the hegemony is wearing suits. We don't wear suits. You yeah. know, that's how you look at it. And then you, you have this just victim mentality, like it's it's you against the world, the world's against you. Yeah. And uh, that victim mentality um, already, um, because it's there, that's how you're looking at the world is through a victim mentality. Hmm. Um, then obviously you go in a certain direction. If you believe you're a victim and you have a victim's mentality, and the, what you're doing is you're basing that on whether I am equal to these people, mm. these this other group, this other group of people. So it, it, le- it begs the question of, well, are you victims? Right. You know, are, is there a truth to having a victim's mentality? Mm. And, and there's a lot there to kind of unpack. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know? And in a subjective culture kind of like ours, it becomes impossible because if I feel victimized, then I am victimized. So, for instance, I was listening to, um, you know, I'm not going to say her name, but very, very famous uh, woman who claimed victimhood. And they asked her, like, well, in what way have you been victimized? She's like, well, you know, I was going to the store and this white guy cuts in front of me, doesn't even recognize that I'm there. And she's like, and this is so telling of how white people treat black people every day. And listening to it, you're like, wait, that happens to me like all the time. <laughs> like, you know, like, so you, you, your victimhood is just, this happened to you once. So <laughs> like someone cutting in front of me at the supermarket happens like on a weekly basis, you know, yeah. it's got a par for the course. It's almost like psychological <laughs> projection. Right. It's like you project something onto your scene. Right. Everybody goes through the same thing. Yeah. It's just some people don't project that <laughs> thought into that situation that's right so i could look at the situation i could be altruistic about it and say well maybe they just didn't see me you know maybe they're busy they just didn't notice or recognize or whatever but then i could be more pessimistic and just say well maybe they're a jerk and everybody's a jerk. yeah maybe everybody's <laughs> a jerk but what most people wouldn't assume is that person's a bigot <laughs> and they're intentionally ignoring me because of my race like that only comes from a victim mentality and and like you said you could do it for people in your scene right you could be like oh they're doing it because i have long hair or i have a nose ring or i have you know like they just don't yeah. they don't like me because of the clothes i wear i got the tattoos from. i got this color hair i mean it, this happens all the time this is what i mean <laughs> this is what i mean when i blog that we are just like we did not like the generation x culture yeah did not go p- past junior high mentally. Yeah. <laughs> like we just took, we took everything of junior high 
<laughs> and we're like, awesome. <laughs> we're like, we're like, this is how the world should be run. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because in more, like we talked about, more <clears throat> traditional cultures who believe that arrogance is the worst thing. Basically, in cultures like that, think about that. If they believe that arrogance is the worst thing, then your perspective actually doesn't mean much. So in other words, if I feel victimized, a culture that abhors pride would say, yeah, but it doesn't really matter what you think. It only matters what's real, right? So it only matters if that actually happened. It doesn't matter if you just feel like it happened. And even then, a culture that's more pride, more against like arrogance and conceit would say, well, then what are you going to do about that? Like, are you going to allow that to control your life? Are you going to allow that person snubbing you or hurting your feelings to keep you down? Or are you going to rise above it? That's the idea that you're going to get in most cultures. In our culture, they would say, yeah, I'm so sorry that happened to you, you know, and there's help for you and there's hope for you, man. And that, that guy, you know, he's probably just obsessed with his whiteness and, you know, maybe he'll get his later on, but the system's out to get you and we just need to come alongside you and support you and encourage you. And maybe through this unbelievable amount of unconditional love and acceptance, you're going to better yourself because you're awesome. You know, I was even uh, listening to something today where there's a school that's cutting out honor programs because honor programs, you know, it, it yeah. shows that there's someone better. Absolutely. And that hurts self-esteem. You know, if I feel like, oh, I'm not in the honors math class, like that means I'm in the regular math class. And that means I'm stupid and that hurts my feelings. So let's just get rid of honors courses and let's get rid of like, cause that's the problem. The problem is making you feel bad. It's not about anything else. I go to the Bergeron story. Remember that wonderful article by um, uh, Hunter, Hunter S. Thompson or uh, yeah, it's called the Bergerons. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read that one, no. but that's the one I, I think I shared on a podcast once, but um, it is where, uh, it's in a society that now has redefined equality. Hmm. And so they have equity, perfect equity too, perfect outcomes. So you have one very talented ballet dancer, and then, then they work with a very horrible one. Like, so that's how the plays are. That's how the ballet shows are. So it's like you have, no one can really, if someone is very good, then they like break their foot. So that they can fall down and be clumsy like the <laughs> clumsy ballet. So it's dancer. not about making the bad good; it's about making the good bad. <laughs> so there's perfect equity. It's yeah, it's it's trying yeah. to have a perfect equality yeah. or a perfect equity, a perfect outcome, really, in the situations that he presents. Right. Um, but he wrote that, you know, gosh, I think back in the '60s. Yeah. And um, on what was going on, and and he, I think he was left, yeah, you know, but um, and that's kind of the the main problem that we get into uh, with Christianity and this idea, where if you accept that premise, right, and this is why it's the thought that stops thought. If you accept that premise that the worst thing that you can do to someone else is to make them feel less than, then you cannot at all criticize somebody else's lifestyle. You can't do it. And it brings people to the point where, especially with the LGBTQ movement, if I say, I believe behaving in this manner is a sin, I've said something that might hurt that person's feelings, and that's the worst possible sin. So in other words, it's cut me off from any ability or capacity to critique. 
But the interesting thing is, is that the LGBTQ community and they're blind to their own. And this is not just them. It's, it's our culture as a whole. They're blind to the unbelievable amounts of self-contradiction present within that statement. Because if you say you cannot criticize somebody else because it lowers their self-esteem, well, what have you just done? You've criticized me because I just try to criticize you. So to criticize the criticizer is still a criticism. <laughs> and therefore, you have lowered someone. I like that. Uh, it's the interview that made Jordan Peterson famous. Uh, it came out like five years ago, and it was him and Kathy Newman. And uh, I don't know if you ever watched that. Is it the one where she's like a British? Rep- yeah. Uh, yeah. It is the interview that put him on the map. And it is, it's amazing, right, this interview. And as she's going at him, she's criticizing him because of this issue where he had publicly stated in Canada, he's saying, I don't think the government should be able to control what I say. And therefore, if somebody else, spe- specifically on the trans issue, if somebody identifies as a female and is biologically a male, I will call them a male because that's what they are. The government cannot tell me that what pronouns I use towards somebody else. That's that's not right. And she was like, how dare you do that? You know, you are you are making people feel small and less than and you are criticizing them and you're questioning their identity. And he's like, well, you're doing that to me right now. <laughs> and she like freezes for a full minute. And he's like, but you should do that. You're a journalist. That's your whole job yeah i remember him saying that and she like couldn't say anything for an entire yeah yeah she just goes like i gotta work that one out yeah (laughs) and he's he's like i got you yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're like oh (laughs) but it it's so i mean that's how it works though right it's like you can't get out of the logical bubble right you can't get out of uh um laws of logic so even though you try, you <laughs> desperately try, you know, like critical race theory and uh, the whole idea of hegemonies and stuff like that. Right. Well, in putting down a hegemony, you put another one up. That's right. And, um, you know, so it's it, 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 it all gets uh, it, you can't get out of the box. I think C.S. Lewis said you are sawing at the branch that you yourself are standing <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, that's, you know? right. <laughs> so, that's right. So it's like by condemning someone else's rationale, I am myself being condemned so this is by kurt vonnegut jr it's called harrison bergeron oh, okay it's like an essay or is it a it's book a, it's a little it's a little i guess it's a little essay it says the year was 2081 <laughs> <laughs> it says and everybody was finally equal they weren't only equal before god and the law they were equal every which way Nobody was smarter than anybody else. Nobody was better looking than anybody else. Nobody was stronger or quicker than anybody else. All this equality was due to the 211th, 212th, and 213th amendments to the Constitution and to the unceasing vigilance of agents of the United States Handicapper General. Hmm. It says some things about living still weren't quite right, though. April, for instance, still drove people crazy, not by being springtime. And it was in that clammy month of the HG men that, or that the HG men took George and Hansel Bergeron, 14-year-old son Harrison, away. It was tragic, all right, but George and Hansel couldn't think about it very hard. Hansel had a perfectly average intelligence, which meant she couldn't think about anything except in short bursts. And George, while his intelligence was way above normal, had a little mental handicap radio in his ear. 
He was required by law to wear it at all times. It was tuned to a government transmitter. Every 20 seconds or so, the transmitter would send out some sharp noise to keep uh, people like George from taking unfair advantages of their brains. <laughs> George and Hansel were watching television. There were tears on Hansel's cheeks, but she'd forgotten for the moment what they were about. On the television screen were ballerinas. A buzzer sounded in George's head. His thoughts fled in panic like bandits from a burglar alarm. That was a real pretty dance. That dance they just did, says Hansel. Uh, said George. That dance, it was nice, says Hansel. Yup, said George. He tried to think a little about the ballerinas. They weren't really very good, no better than anyone else would have been, anyway. They were burdened with sa sash weights and bags of birdshot, and their faces were masked so that no one seeing a free and graceful gesture or a pretty face would feel like something the cat drug in. <laughs> George was toying with the vague notion that maybe dancers shouldn't be handicapped, but he didn't get very far with it before another noise in his ear radio scattered his <laughs> thoughts. Anyway, it goes on. Yeah. But you get the picture of what Kurt Vonnegut Jr. was getting at with this idea of equality, right? Right. Right. It's like, what does it mean yeah. in a society? Does it mean that all ballerinas have to be the same? Does do all people like and, and this is what kind of gets me kind of at this this thing that we're talking about with like victimization a little bit and LGB2 and like the way people are thinking right now and 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 this idea is like is is it are is there an equality and that's why this has come about LGBTQ is it from an unequal uh, equality and uh, you think okay what is the ruling sexual way of you know, in the country. Mm -hmm. Well, it's one man and there's one woman and they can divorce, that's legal. And they, you can get married as many times as you want in the country. <laughs> um, but that kind of heterosexual attitude is like the ruling class of sex. Now, there's some arguments to be made with that as well, I think. I've tried to argue that um, that really what promotes LGBTQ is not really, it, let me say this, is really something that has to have another component in it in a society. Meaning LGBTQ can't stand on its own. It has to stand on something in order to lift it up. So if the society didn't have this thing I'm thinking about right now, then it couldn't it couldn't exist. It couldn't function. It, it, it could exist, but it couldn't um, grow. And that thing I, I think of as technology. And so, uh, and so when I think of heterosexuality, I tend to think of a, that there is a, a, a normative in the sense of this, human beings need to procreate right and because of that need we you know we have a sexual drive and so you can't no matter how many times I have sex with a man I cannot have offspring right so I need to have sex with a woman 
and and I would think that uh, you know in when I look at sexual relationships in all kinds of cultures, when it comes to like the safety of a woman, then heterosexuality makes sense. Um, you know where when you see cultures that really went just aggro on the idea of procreation, then you have a lot of polygamy that's in there. But I tend to think that LGBTQ has to has to have technology in order to be able to thrive. I don't know how it could if you didn't have that component. Yeah. No, and you're right. It's uh, it's interesting. There's this video online, and I always encourage people to look at it. It's like a magician shows deception, and he breaks down how magicians trick people. I kind of wish Adrian was in here right now. Yeah, <laughs> he trick us. Yeah, yeah but uh, it, he breaks down the ways or the means in which a magician tricks somebody. And the the main one was, is he said they they uh, it's called minding the gap. And he shows the famous spoon bend trick, you know, where someone holds a spoon between their two fingers and looks on it. And with the power of their mind, they make it bend. And after he does it, he like takes his fingers away and he shows that what he was doing was he actually had a broken spoon and he was covering up the crease with his fingers and he was just moving one end down while the other one stayed the same. So it looked like he was bending and he said, what I did is I took the gap in your mind because your mind has to process so much data all the time that it takes shortcuts in order to be able to function, right? It can't fully process everything. So what it does is when you look at that spoon, you just assume that it's a whole spoon because you're only seeing a part of the picture, but you think you're seeing the whole thing because of the natural gaps that exist inside of your mind. What magicians do is they exploit that gap in order to trick you. The reason why that's so important, kind of like what you're talking about with media, is if it wasn't for the prevalence of how we're able to expose the LGBTQ community to the public, you would not ever even think about it. What I mean, and this is what the LGBTQ community realized very early on. They are a fraction of the percentage of the population. I think it's maybe, maybe three out of 100 or something like that are LGB. You know, when it comes to trans, that's a fraction of a percent. It's not even one whole percent. But when you look out, you know, based on the news and the media, you would think that it's like everybody. You would think that like everybody out there is gay. You know, there's there's at least 20 percent or 50 percent. You know, you would think it was a high number. The reason why they're able to do that is because it's minding the gap. If you bombard people with images of something, you start to make them fill in the gap. They start to think, oh, like it's everywhere even though it's really not, you know? Uh, and again, I'm not trying to get on a political point here or anything like that, but this was the same line of reasoning behind putting the coronavirus deaths on every major news network. Why were they doing that? It's minding the gap. It's basically trying to expose you to as many coronavirus deaths as physically possible to convince you that it's everywhere, where if you just went off of your own personal experience, you'd be like, how many people do I know have died from the coronavirus? And the average person might say maybe one, you know, maybe. I don't know of anyone personally that died of coronavirus. But, you know, hey, I know they're out there. I know they exist. I just don't know anyone personally. And when you go to the average person, like I said, you may have one, maybe two at most. But if you just looked at the news, you would think that people are dropping left and right. Like you couldn't walk outside without seeing someone dying of coronavirus. 
even though from personal experience you know it's not true because of how the media played things it tricks your own mind the same thing is true with the lgb community how many people do you know personally who are gay yeah i know a couple you know like not a not a ton though i know a couple mm -hmm. and i know a lot of people like i'm a pastor i i know a lot of people not just christians but non-christians and i don't really know that many but again if you were just to look at social media and the pride parades you would think oh my gosh they're everywhere would you would you agree with me that that technology it's got to stand on technology yeah yeah, and I, I think not just like the news technology, but I think like the medical technology, um, you know, like those, like that, that, that promote that. That's what things need to stand on yeah. in order to get things moving along. Like because if you wanted equality, let's say you you mentioned childbearing, right? If it wasn't for surrogacy, if it wasn't for implantation, then no gay couples could never have a kid unless they committed a heterosexual act meaning unless i as a male went and had sex with a female and impregnated her there's no way we would be able to have kids but now with surrogacy we can't i can take you know my seed and my spouse's seed we can fertilize this is what they usually do they put both of it inside of an egg and you just don't know which one of them is going to be the one that actually fertilizes the egg then you take right. that fertilized egg you put it inside of a willing participant and they have your baby for you. Yeah, and it's an interesting talk. The reason why I even brought it up was just the idea that, um, you know, technology has a big role to play in sexuality. You know, we could, one day we'll have to talk about the pill. I know there's some great books on that too, how the pill really changed sexuality and sexual ideas. So let's go back to this equality. We did read a little bit from the Bergerons from uh, uh, Kurt Vonnegut Jr. And, and he's talking about this equality. And I always kind of wonder, LGBT, Okay, so they feel like um, they're they're not equal, and then is that true? Hmm. You know, and then I wonder, like, can you be gay in the United States? Yeah, yeah, you can be gay illegally. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I I think there was a time where you maybe couldn't be right in the country, but I it would I, be tough to be out at a certain time. I'm not aware of any official law on the books. That would say that you couldn't, that if you came out as gay, you could be sent to prison. Um, I'm sure that they've existed in some states. I'm just not aware of any. Um, but what you would m mainly fear is not the legality. You would fear your neighbors and your friends and family. Yeah, and I don't think any anybody doubts the discrimination, the sexual discrimination that has gone on in the world right I, I hate people just to say the united states you know <laughs> when it's like man sorry but slavery was all over the world and, yeah. and sexual discrimination. Um, discrimination was all over the world and child uh labor issues were all over the world i yeah. mean you know these things are world problems you know human being problems and but i'm talking over you know the modern era hmm. you know in the united states yeah where certainly Things are so different today over the last, you know, 20 years yeah. in in our country where I, I don't think you, you know, you can you can be gay if you want yeah. and you could be lesbian and you could swing. I don't think you'd go to jail if you're a swinger in any of the states. I don't think you'd go to jail if you were uh, 
you know, if you will, like, uh, uh, you know, into uh, polyamory or things like that, um, you know, if you're not married to more than one person. Right. You know, at the same time. Which is interesting because that means that there's more legal discrimination against a heterosexual than there is against a homosexual. Meaning that there are no legal discriminations against a homosexual right now. If you want, if you're a man, you want to marry a man, you can marry a man, but you cannot marry two women. <laughs> no, you <laughs> can't do that. Legally, you can't do it. So you have to find a way around it. But it's it's very interesting that that's the way it is in our society. It, it kind of gets into another point that we can get at. But you can't marry man. Man can't marry two men. It's true. Or a man and a woman. (laughs) 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 You just can't do it. You could date. You could date a bunch of people, but you can't do that. But it it gets into another interesting issue, and that that comes with legality. So the the modern attempt to make everything equal within our society, um, it has a – people are trying to do it through the law through making things legal. And the most recent example of this would be the Equality Act, which I think we've talked about before on the podcast. But for those of you guys who don't know, the Equality Act already passed through the House of Representatives. It's up for the House of Senate. It hasn't gone there yet. Many people are really pushing for it to be brought to the House of Senate this month because it is LGBTQ month. But for those of you guys who don't know, what it would do is it would take LGBTQ issues and it would roll it over into the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So it means that people with sexual preferences and gender preferences would be afforded the same legal protection as someone with a race. So for instance, I if someone came and applied here at the church and said, hey, these are my credentials, I want to work here, and we said, no, you can't work here because you're black, we could get obviously sued and i think rightfully so what this act would do is if same scenario someone comes to and says hey i want to work here here are my credentials and we say well you're openly gay it would be the same thing as if we discriminated against someone for being black that's what the equality act would do um it's pretty hardcore when you think about it and it it immediately exempts itself from any religious freedom and what's even more than beyond just that and that's called the um, equality equality Act. act is is when you bring in social justice theory, you really can't discriminate uh, and say no to anybody. Right. Because like the essay, the Bergerons, right? You you can't critique in any aspect because when you can critique anybody in any way, hmm. that's an attack. Right. That's an, a discriminatory attack. Right. And so even if you said, well, I don't think you're smart enough for this job. Right. <laughs> right. Right. They, you could say that's discriminatory. Yeah. Of course, uh, you know, I might not be smart enough for, quote, this job, but that doesn't mean that I can't have the job, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And for me not to get that job is discriminatory. Right. You know, by golly, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just as well-built as the other person, <laughs> you know? I just might not be no, so, so smart, but if you're discriminating and we're all equal. Right. So, it, th- and my point in trying to pick this as a par- apart is, obviously, we're not talking about the same things. Right. Um, when we talk when about we say equality. equality. Yeah. yeah, something is being really misunderstood or redefined. Right. Um, used in a different way. And I think equality, probably the term's been misused so much 
where we really don't know what it is. And this is an interesting thing, and it's so subtle, and it's genius. You have to appreciate how genius it is. Yeah. Where the word equality, if I, if I agree to the premise, I agree to the conclusion. Mm-hmm. This is what I mean. If I agree in that to the conversation that we are talking about equality, then I am agreeing to the premise that I am talking about two things that can be equally compared and of equal status. And if I agree to the premise, the conclusion necessarily follows because if they are the same, then there is no way I could discriminate. So it's by definition, by definition. So the obvious and easiest example I could use would be trans athletes. If I am talking about equality, then I am saying that these people can be compared and they are on equal footing. That yeah, male right, when you use, right when you use the term, that's right. what you're saying. Right when you're saying, hey, we're going to talk about equality. Uh, athlete equality. Athlete yeah. equality. And you say trans Athletes. athlete. And then you, you in the same sentence you say, and a woman right, or a man. How do I get trans athletes equality, right? Yeah. By using that term equality, I've agreed that a trans woman is a woman that they are equal and therefore it necessitates the conclusion yeah so really in order to combat that kind of thinking you have to say well first i have to challenge the premise right which the premise like why would you think like um trans athletes are equal right in what way do you think they're equal yeah you probably have to start there right absolutely because the way that i've heard people combat it is they'll say like I'll say, well, you know, male, biological males have advantages. And they would say, well, so what? Don't people who are taller have an advantage? People who are stronger have an advantage? So we disqualify them. Maybe we should just have everyone compete who's only equal, kind of like what you're talking about with the Bergeron Society. You know, like <laughs> right. maybe maybe we should only let people compete who are exactly the same, the exact same height, exact same weight. And obviously that's not what we mean. We mean that there is a distinction between what we would say is you can compare a female athlete to a female athlete. They are equal in the sense that there is a comparison level. It's more difficult and I would even argue impossible to equate or to compare directly a male athlete and a female athlete because they are so biologically different. There's differences in their chromosomes. There's differences in their biology, their natural development. There's differences in their testosterone levels. There are so many massive differences that are just inherent whenever you try to compare the two, that it's impossible to compare them. And that's why we don't do it. That's why you can't use the word equal. Right. It would be foolish. If someone went to the the Olympics and said, hey, I am for athlete equality. Why is it that the women have a separate division than the men? People would be like, well, it's because the women would lose. <laughs> like they would just they would just always lose. You just have to look at the times. What is the what is the fastest time for a man? What's the fastest time for a woman? They're different, you know, they're very different always. So you'd look at it and say, okay, well, using the phrase, everyone would laugh at you if you even tried to use the phrase. The only way it could work is if you take social justice again into athletics. Right. And you say, okay. And it would have to look like this. It would have to look like the Bergerons. Yeah. It would have to be like, hey, you're too good to play, so we're going to, you know, give me your hand. Let's, let's like, uh, cut that off. Yeah. Okay, now. Let's break your ankle. (laughs) Let's break your ankle. (laughs) Now you can run. Now you can run, (laughs) and now you're equal to the the lady over there. Right. You know, and they're running the same speed around the track, and everybody's like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's great, right? Because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. That's right. You know, but you could see how, 
we basically throw out so many things um, in in doing this. Uh, and we're manufacturing, what's really interesting to me is that you're going away from natural order. Right. Like you're going further away from the natural. Meaning anybody out there who's into organic food or into <laughs> organic living yeah. or into trees yeah. or into, if you're really into the organic way, yeah. this is not the organic way. You I know? think people are realizing that because here's the crazy thing. If I'm a secularist, if I, I'm not even going to use the word atheist, but if I'm a secularist, I'm not someone who believes in God or divine order or anything like that. I'm a materialist. I only think of matter and motion. Yeah, biology. Biology physics. and stuff like that. It's really hard <laughs> to say I'm a materialist. I'm only into science and biology and chemistry, things like that. I'm only into this. However, I'm going to go against biology and the natural order in the way I think about men and women and sexuality. It's it's really difficult proposition to hold in your mind at the same time. And the, and the question is, is what idea that you have that's transcended enough to go against the natural order? You know, why would you do that? And it's really interesting because in, in Christianity, when we say natural, we believe that there is a natural order, but it's inherently fallen, that there's a fallen natural order. So if someone is naturally homosexual, we don't look at that and say, well, that's natural order, so you should just do whatever your biology is telling you to do. We would say, well, no, 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 there's a fallen component to your natural being, and so therefore that ought to be resisted in order to go towards the original intent, which and, is what we're trying. And even you see that in the animal kingdom, if you want to get organic, right. it's not that animals don't practice homosexual behavior. Right. But if they desire to have children. Right. They're not exclusively homosexual. Right. They're not exclusively. If they, if they, for some reason, you know, have the instinct right. to uh, have a baby to mate, yeah. then they will find the other half the female yeah the female yeah you're not going to find like a male animal like you know basically ejaculating <laughs> into a puddle and <laughs> like putting <laughs> taking an egg and then putting it back in. It, it's like if if you see two males in nature having sex it's basically just to you know hate to be crude but it's basically just to get off it's because it feels good but for procreation purposes you're going to see the same animals engaging in homosexual acts engage in heterosexual acts because of the functionality of procreation. You're not going to see any exclusively homosexual animals for that reason, because there's a biological purpose to sex. And there's actually a lot of cultures that have thought that way. Uh, the Greek and Roman culture thought that yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, many, many, many cultures. Right, where it's like, hey, there's nothing wrong with having, if you're a guy and you want to have sex with a guy, go have sex with a guy. Yeah, check out Greece's uh, pedophilia um, era. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah that, w that was super common. Yeah, yeah, having yeah. sex with a a young boy as a, it was even considered kind of a rite of manhood. You know, mm -hmm. you're you have a male teacher, and that's part of the instruction almost. The debate is whether Socrates was into it or not. Yeah. I've read some Socrates, and it's like you don't. He seemed kind of disgusted with it, <laughs> you know. But you kind of don't know if he's being a little. <laughs> facetious yeah yeah and that's the thing about socrates it's so funny uh you know even aristotle critiqued him because he's like the guy just doesn't know how to be serious <laughs> like he, in other words he's so sarcastic you have no clue if he's joking but yeah that was so embedded you know socrates talks about being in love with a young man and uh he talks about his own experiences when he was young 
So I, it's it's interesting that that's how those cultures looked at it. What's new is our culture of exclusive homosexuality, of saying I'm only going to have sex with men, and that's it. Um, the o reason why you say it stands on science or scientific advancements is because that's that was untenable. It was an untenable position until the scientific advancement has come along where you can be exclusively homosexual and still be able to have children um, in a biological sense, not just adopt, but in a biological sense to have kids that are yours without ever having to have sex with a female or the opposite sex. Yeah. Or for trans people, you know. So if you're into, if you're into the organic way, if you're into the hemp, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, then you would think that, you know, organically speaking, um, you, you know, what we're seeing today in LGBTQ community is really not organic at all. It's, it's really uh, has to stand on the giant of uh, scientific um, development. Advancements. Advancements, yeah. And the, the interesting mm -hmm. thing is, is that like what we're seeing happen is that philosophy is trumping science. So the majority of people out there today, if I were to ask them, do you believe in science, right? Do you believe in the scientific method to be more accurate? The majority would be like, yeah, absolutely. I believe in the scientific method. I think it's to be trusted. And if I were to then move on and say, okay, well, what about the scientific discoveries about, let's say the psychological effects of transgenderism, how it affects people, um, how it affects people pre and post-op, how it affects children to be around instances like this, how some children are very, um, you know, moldable and shapeable and they're susceptible to being deceived in ways like this. And it can actually affect them permanently if they do something permanent to their bodies to be able to af avoid puberty. Right. If I start having conversations like that with people, they, they're not going to have it. It's like, dude, you're, you're being bigoted towards trans people. I was even having that conversation with my brother on the weekend, you know, where, you know, he was talking about the suicides of trans people. I was like, Hey, you know, have you ever heard of this person? I brought up a woman named Abigail Schreier, not a Christian, right? Um, and in fact, someone who is supportive of the trans movement, but she brings up all these different issues with the trans movement, and how it can destroy people, like really trying to have this conversation, but she's been labeled a bigot. She's like, whoa, like I'm, I'm for the trans movement. I just think that we should be looking at these different aspects of it, but because of equality, because I, I can't bring anyone down, I can't make anyone feel less than, then she's been silenced and that's very scary like one of the most interesting ones that she brought up which is frightening to me to be honest uh she brought up the idea that in female prison populations so in male pop prison populations they separate out the males based on the severity of crimes meaning they're not going to put rapists with people who stole from starbucks you know they don't do that they put uh sex offenders in one place but then they also put people in different places based on the severity of crimes. Like they're not going to put a murderer with someone who just stole something from Starbucks. They're in different places. Women don't do that. Women's facilities are completely integrated. And the reason why is because women predominantly do not commit highly violent crimes. The problem is that with the trans movement, if I identify as a female and I'm a violent sex offender and I'm male, and by the way, how do you tell if someone is female? It's just what they say. So if I'm a violent sexual offender and I want to go to a, pr a female prison population, 
all I got to do is identify as a female. This is a big issue right now. It's a huge issue. And she brings it up. Some people be like, oh, that would never happen. It's happening. Right. It's happening right now. It, it yeah. is absolutely happening. I forget. I forget. I was listening to something where they were saying um, there was like 400 applications or something for this. Or yeah. I might be exaggerating. It might have been 200. And I just think of an even number. For yeah. <laughs> 400. Round but it's up. a lot. It's, it's, <laughs> it is hundreds. And they're actually having women speaking out about it. About like, yeah, it's scary it's like terrifying for me to be in a cell with a biological male and think about it some of these women may have had experiences of being molested or sexually assaulted and now you're putting them in a cell with a biological male who could sexually assault them it could absolutely happen and you're allowing it to happen in the name of equality because if again if i'm saying they're equal you've already I, assumed something i've already assumed something and i can't once i've agreed to the premise I cannot then say, but put them in a different, uh, different facility. Yeah, because that's inequality. Yeah. So, um, you know, Noam Chomsky, the very progressive writer, uh, over the last what? Gosh, uh, probably one of the top 100 progressive, or in the past hundred years, one of the top progressive writers. But he says, you want to create a slogan that nobody's going to be against, <laughs> and everybody's going to be for. Nobody knows what it means because it doesn't mean anything. Its crucial value is that it diverts your attention from a question that does mean something. <laughs> is awesome. that good? That's a good quote. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good quote. But, you know, Noam Chomsky nails it, man. It's like when you don't know what something means and you and you feel stupid yeah. to say, hey, what? does what are you meaning by equality <laughs> yeah. and that's like kind of that's what lgbtq begs the question right what is equality like what are you meaning yeah like okay is the lesbian the same as the heterosexual well no in is, all ways yeah yeah in all ways no is you know and you go down the list right you know is that the same as that no is homosexual marriage the same as heterosexual marriage um, you know, and the answer is no. no, there's a difference. Right. What's the difference? Well, one's male, female, one's the same sex. Yeah. And, and so that's why you have a word homosexuality right. and heterosexuality because right. they come from different words, yeah. root words. And, and, and so obviously there's a difference. If they were the same, then it would be be the same. Yeah, why would we even say it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so it, it seems like there's something so obvious, <laughs> but no one dares question <laughs> it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so the progressive left-winger, Noam Chomsky, for all you left-wing progressives out there that think you got it down, Read Noam Chomsky. Yeah. <laughs> Figure, hey, get back into Noam, man. Yeah. You guys forgot about him. Yeah. Um, he might be old, but, man, he's got some good stuff in there. Yeah, but he's just some white guy. So who cares? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he's the progressive hege he hegemony. <laughs> hegemony of the progressives. Some white, cisgender, <laughs> heterosexual male, man. Who cares? That's <laughs> right. I know. It's just... It, so... You know, I guess we could end there yeah. for today, but I would love to talk more about, you know, that equality and really pick that apart. Yeah. You know, why is it not, why would we not say it's equal? And how that relates to the Bible too and how it relates to that passage in 1 Corinthians where one's a nose, one's this, one's that. You know, when we mean equality, 
you know, what are we meaning by that? Right. And, um, and, and I think it is a good place to end because when you look at the Bible, both the community and the politics that was created in the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament community that is not political in nature, but it is societal, it is social, and there is ways of looking at things. There isn't an equality when it comes to sexual expression. Um, and the Bible never says that there's an equality there, and they do treat different behaviors as being right and wrong. And that's why a lot of people in our modern day are so offended by the Bible and why I think a lot of Christian pastors are kind of walking some of that stuff back. They're like, oh, that doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And then, you know, what what are the ramifications of that kind of attitude in the in the church? Why are we afraid to say, hey, maybe I'm not equal to that person? Hmm. You know, what 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 really in us as human beings uh, is really affected by me uh, by that idea that maybe I'm not equal. Right. You know, maybe I'm not as good. Yeah. Maybe I'm not as smart. Yeah. You know, and there's an interesting thing in the Bible, you know, when you get to the New Testament and their depiction of heaven in Revelation 22, there are kings in heaven means that there's still not what we would call in our society a total equality in heaven. There are differences in glory. And it's not the Joseph Smith way of thinking of it, but there is a distinction in glory when you get to heaven because God created individuality and he sees it as a good thing. So there's a type of equality that is present in Christianity, but it's not the type that our society promotes. Yeah, so we'll look at like church equality, heaven equality, um, and, you know, more about social equality, too, and how it relates to the laws of the land yeah. and how maybe our laws get confusing because we really don't know what equal means. It's become an irrelevant term, as Chomsky says. Yeah. <laughs> it's really it's really moot, man. Yeah. You know, equality is just a good slogan. Yeah. You know, it's not one to be questioned anymore. So uh, it's, it's just part of the propaganda. <laughs> so anyway, you guys have a great one. Thanks for listening. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. <laughs>